Spring into reading this season with the Biblio Lifestyle 2024 Spring Reading Guide. In this season's guide, I've handpicked 21 of the best new books and I've organized them across six categories. So whether you're looking for a romance novel that will give you a happily ever after, a thrilling mystery to keep you guessing, or an immersive historical fiction book, this guide has a book or three or seven just for you. Now, if 21 books sounds like too much for you, there's a minimalist reads list in the guide, which includes a list of six must-read books from across genres. But wait, that's not all. The spring reading guide also includes fun recipes, spring activities and lifestyle tips. So head on over to springreadingguide.com and download your copy of the guide. That's springreadingguide.com and download your free copy of the 2024 spring reading guide. So download your free copy and discover your next favourite book. Happy reading! We're back! Readers, I'm super excited to be back and I'm so happy to welcome you all to season two of the Reader's Couch podcast. I have some great author interviews lined up. I'm planning to bring more readers on the show again and I can't wait to talk all things books and the reading life. Plus, we also have some new and exciting things in the works, so stay tuned so you won't miss a thing. So again, I just want to thank you for listening to the show. Please hit those five stars, and I'd love it if you could take a minute to write something nice about the show in the reviews. So for the millionth time, thank you, and alrighty, let's get on to the episode. Welcome to The Reader's Couch, a podcast that brings you lively conversations with some of your favourite authors and bookish personalities. Over here, the couch is always booked, but I've moved some books to the side table and fluffed some cushions so I can welcome a guest or two to come lounge with us. Today on the couch, we have Lorena Hughes. She's the author of The Sisters of Alameda Street, but she's here to talk to me about her latest historical novel, The Spanish Daughter. Stay tuned. atmospheric and historical novel with hints of a murder mystery to add to your reading list is Beautiful Little Falls by Gillian Cantor. The novel reimagines and features characters from the classic novel The Great Gatsby. But instead of Gatsby's original narrator, Nick Carraway, we get to see the story from the perspectives of the women involved. Alternating between Daisy Buchanan, Jordan Baker and Catherine McCoy, their stories unfold in the years leading up to that fateful summer of 1922, when all three of their lives are on the brink of unravelling and each woman is pulled deeper into Jay Gatsby's obsessive world. 
Beautiful Little Falls by Gillian Cantor revisits the glittering jazz age and it's a quintessential tale of money, power, marriage, friendship, love and desire and also the murder of a tormented man. Beautiful Little Falls by Gillian Cantor is being published by Harper Perennial and it's an atmospheric historical novel you really don't want to miss. Hi readers, welcome again to The Reader's Couch. I'm your host, Victoria Wood, and here on the couch with me is the author of The Sisters of Alameda Street, but she's here to talk to me about her latest novel, The Spanish Daughter. Please welcome to the couch, Lorena Hughes. Hey, Lorena. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. I'm thrilled you could make it here on the show with me. I'm very excited about The Spanish Daughter. And it's been out there in the world on bookshelves for almost a month now. I mean, how are you feeling? How excited are you? I'm super excited because this has been such a different experience from my first novel. And I just, I'm enjoying all the attention the book is getting and all the little marketing things that are happening around it. I'm just having a great time. The latest thing I discovered is that in Instagram, people are putting super nice displays of the book and I'm just loving it. Oh, I love hearing that. I love the map, the map that went along with the book. I thought it was so cute. So yeah, seeing the little boxes being shared online, it's just been great. I've been enjoying getting feedback from readers as well. But I agree. It's just it's just a pleasure to see people celebrating with you with your book for sure. So Lorena, I want readers to hear from you. Tell us about your novel, The Spanish Daughter, and what can readers expect going in? So The Spanish Daughter is the story of a Spanish woman, like the title suggests. Her name is Purificación, Puri for short. And she's a chocolatier in Sevilla in 1920, when uh, right after World War I, she receives the news that her father has passed away in Ecuador, and he has left her some kind of inheritance. She is really sad by the death of her father because he left her as a toddler, and she hasn't seen him since, and she's always wanted to connect with him again. I mean, she's, all, all she's had from him have been letters, but she hasn't seen him. And so she's devastated by that, but she's also really excited about the prospect of going to Ecuador because she's always like wanted to see what a cacao plantation looked like. And especially because she works with chocolate. And so she convinces her husband, Cristobal, to go with her. And she basically drags him across the Atlantic. But aboard the ship, someone tries to murder her and ends up killing Cristobal instead. Pudi is terrified at what happens and has reason to suspect that this was a mercenary sent to kill her. So feeling very vulnerable, especially as a woman, and not knowing what to expect of this trip to South America, because even though, again, this is 1920 and they didn't have Google, right? So she has no idea what to expect. And so she decides to dress as a man and continue on with the trip. And so when she arrives to Ecuador, she finds out that there's this little town called Little Paris. That's the nickname. It's really called Vinces, but they call it Paris Chiquito because a group of Frenchmen in the 19th century bought land there 
and produced all this cacao beans and exported them. And they also made one of this little town into a little Paris and built a, a little Eiffel Tower and had all these things there. And so she sees all of that. And she also meets three half siblings that she didn't know existed. So she introduces herself as Cristobal and basically from then on tries to discover who of these siblings hired a mercenary to kill her. Along the way, she'll also meet this very enigmatic man that awakens a passion in her that she doesn't know what to do with. And she goes through all kinds of crazy experiences dressed as a man until she figures everything out. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, this book is part historical fiction for me. It's part mystery. It's also part romance. I mean, I just loved all the different elements you put together in this book. I think they worked together really well. I also enjoyed reading about a place that's just completely foreign to me. I've never been to Ecuador. I had no idea about the history of cacao. I mean, I know chocolate. I even know folks would make chocolate from the cacao beans into like chocolate balls and make tea and use it to make other great things. But I mean, it was just so fascinating, really diving in and learning all these new things through this novel. I mean, prior to writing the book, was this something you're familiar with? I mean, I know you're from Ecuador, but also how much did you know prior to writing and then also what was your research like for the book I knew actually very honestly very little I mean I have said this before in interviews history was not my favorite subject so I was I mean I knew about the cacao boom because I studied that in economics and history classes but I didn't know specifically where it was you know I didn't know about businesses or anything and somehow I came across that little Eiffel Tower. And I was like, why is there an Eiffel Tower that? And I started researching and digging and digging until I found out. And I was like, wow, this is such a rich setting. And I haven't seen anything written there. And so that immediately drew me in. So setting was the first thing that I researched. And I read a lot about chocolate, also the process. I talked to a chocolatier. I looked through, I checked out books in the library about chocolate and the different kinds, the processes, the fermentation of the cacao bean, the exportation. And that's where I learned as a funny fact that a lot of the exporting countries at the beginning of the 20th century did not know what the end product was because that was being produced in, in Europe, really. I mean, they just sent the beans over and then they, in Europe is where they had the chocolate shops and where they added milk and sugar and cinnamon and all this great ingredients so it was i it was kind of a funny fact that i wanted to bring in there because nowadays we have chocolate everywhere right like gas stations everywhere and back then it was a delicacy at the beginning of the 20th century and so i wanted to bring that element in and that's why booty became a chocolatier because i i wanted her to have the link with her father the love for chocolate but also to bring this expertise to the people of Ecuador. I also had to research, I think I have mentioned that part of the inspiration of this story was that I found out that the woman who patented the cacao bean roaster was a Spanish woman in 1847. And I found her name in a listing of women inventors. And I try to dig as much as possible about her, but there's unfortunately not a whole lot other than her patent online. But I had to research roasters and everything else that comes with writing any historical fashion, 
what was around as far as transportation, what, how did people speak, food, what was around, what wasn't. Because we tend to think about a globalized world where we have everything everywhere. But that was not the case. And Ecuador was really behind in a lot of things from other places. That was also something I had to research the history that who was president at the time, what was going on in the world. It just goes a lot into historical fiction and the ships that Puri travels in and everything, you know, that we don't think about that we take for granted was not like a lot of things were not available back then. Right, right. Absolutely. So along with the historical element that we just discussed, another part of the story that I really enjoyed was the kind of mystery. Because unfortunately, like you shared earlier, Cristobal was murdered aboard the ship as they were making the crossing to Ecuador. Now Puri arrives and she's trying to learn more about her father, the truth behind the legacy. She's also investigating who killed her husband, and she discovers her step-siblings. Now, I found it very interesting. The story was told from the perspective of Puri, as well as her sisters, Angelica and Catalina. Could you tell us about the sisters and this other family that Puri's father had in Ecuador? Sure. And that was really interesting to write in their point of view, too, because... It offered a different perspective of Puri and her husband and everybody, right? Like, as a reader, you are you know what Puri is thinking, and now you know what Angelica is thinking when upon meeting her and stuff, or hearing about her. So Angelica is very different than Catalina because Angelica is more sophisticated. She has all these admirers. She's married at the time that Puri meets her, and. She's more vain in a, in a way. So you wouldn't think, but knowing, you know, when you first read about her, you know that she's always been a little bit jealous of Puri because her father mentioned her quite a bit while she was growing up. He's always like, oh yeah, my daughter in Spain, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so a woman that seems to be very confident, like Angelica and a great hostess and all that, she has that insecurity that is that other sister that is the legitimate one. That's kind of what happens with her. And, and I don't want to go too much into what she does, or what, but she's this kind of perfect hostess, perfect, beautiful woman. Catalina, on the other hand, she's very religious, not necessarily by choice, <laughs> but she's introverted. She reads a lot. She doesn't talk much unless someone asks her questions. And there, I see both of those women as very isolated in this big, golden cage where they live which is the hacienda and once in a while like once a week they say they go to church on in town and stuff and but i imagine women of their times might have been very much in their house at all times which is something that is an interesting thing that puri notices when she dresses as a man is that she doesn't have to give explanations to anybody about where she's been or what she has to do as opposed to the sisters that are always you know at home and basically who they are. I want to get into your writing process real quick. How long did it take for you to write The Spanish Daughter? I started researching it in 2013. It did take a while, but I've been writing different things at the same time. I wouldn't say it took that long just for that book because I was writing other things as well. But yeah, that's when I started. And, and I think most of it was the beginning. For the first two years, I was researching the novel and writing the outline and figuring out characters. 
all that stuff. So I am kind of slow. I'm getting faster now with more experience. Absolutely. That makes total sense. What would you say is the most challenging thing, though, about your creative process? Trying to make every scene interesting, you know, because I don't want to bore the readers because I've been bored myself (laughs) with books and just trying to make it compelling and coming up with new things because I think that there's so much out there right now that readers are really savvy and they can predict what's going to happen. And so trying to keep it fresh, trying to keep it interesting. Also, English is a little bit of a challenge for me sometimes. And so I like constantly have to (laughs) be asking my family members a preposition or whatnot. And that's why I have critique partners that I work with, but that is a little bit more of a challenge. Like sometimes I think I wish I could write this in Spanish because it would be so much easier. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. I can understand that for sure. But Lorena, like looking back at your journey so far, because as I mentioned in my introduction, you previously wrote and published The Sisters of Alameda Street. Now you've published The Spanish Daughter. I mean, if you could tell your younger writing self anything, looking back at your journey now, what would it be? I would tell myself not to be embarrassed to tell others that I was a writer. Because mm. that was always something that I was a little bit embarrassed about. You know, I'd be, they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, uh, taking classes. And, you know, <laughs> I was a graphic designer. and But I don't know. There's something about people admitting that they're writers that is difficult at first. This is why I kind of dig for early information for readers. Are there any other books in our future? What are you doing? What can you tell us? Okay, so I have four more novels that are completed but not unpublished. So... The next one that I'm working on is the sequel to The Spanish Daughter. And that one has already been written and it's in the hands of my editor right now. And we've already had a preliminary conversation about it, but I'm waiting to get her written editorial letter and and where she goes and tells me in detail what she wants me to do with it. So that's a project I'm really excited about. So in the meantime, while I'm waiting for her to send me her feedback. I've been revising the second novel I wrote, which is a historical novel set in the Galapagos Islands. Mm. And it's in the 19th century. So that one, I think it has potential to become a lot better than it is right now. And Mm -hmm. so I've been reading it and making some big changes to it. And so that's kind of where I'm working with right now, because I want to really work on this historical stuff first. I do have other stuff that is more like in the 70s or, you know, more contemporary, but I really want to stick with historical for the time being. Okay. That sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Okay. So Lorena, even though we're here to talk about the Spanish daughter, and I'm so happy you're here with me just talking all the things, we want to know what you're reading as well. So please share with our listeners the last book or books that you finished reading that you'd now recommend. Okay. So I mean, you know, surprisingly, <laughs> I haven't been reading that much historical fiction. And, and I think it is because I kind of want to take a little bit of a break from history. So I read a lot of domestic thrillers and psychological thrillers. It's kind of, (laughs) they're fast paced and it's a little bit of my guilty pleasure, you know, and Mm -hmm. it brings in the what if 
factor, yeah. you know, and, and like, I don't want to live that horrible life, but I want to know what it feels like. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I, but I really have been enjoying Lisa Jewell's novels lately yeah. because it's not just a plot, 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 thriller, thriller, thriller. She does really interesting things with her characters. They're very three-dimensional. And so I enjoy them a lot. And she does use multiple point of view. So I've been reading her stuff a lot. I think the last one of hers that I really enjoyed that I, was The Family Upstairs. Yes! Do you like that one? <laughs> yes, I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's so dark. But see, I couldn't, I don't think I could go that dark myself with my own mm-hmm. writing. But I like reading it, you know, from other people. I just, it's just different, you know, it's a, something different than I, what I do. So, but at the same time, it has some things in common, you know, like the multiple point of view, the families, the secrets, but she goes a little bit darker than, than I do. Right. Absolutely. I love the family upstairs. When you said Lisa Drool, I was like, wait, wait, wait. I wonder if she read that one. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was yeah. I read funny. like five of hers in a row because <laughs> wow. I couldn't get enough of her books. Yeah. She really is good though. She really is. So Lorena, what books are you looking forward to reading either sometimes this year or whenever you get around to reading? What books are on your nightstand? Well, I started reading a book called 20 Years Later. I just started it by Charlie Donnelly, and mm-hmm. he's also a Kensington author. But it's really interesting because it has to do with 9-11. I've only read one book before dealing with 9-11 called People Who Knew Me. That was mm-hmm. really interesting. And this kind of has a similar concept in the sense that it's something that happened before 9-11 and then 9-11 came and it changed the world. So I don't know, it's, it's just like a crime story. And I just, just started it. But that's kind of what I'm looking forward to finishing right now. Yeah. And also the latest Elena Ferrante novel. Ooh. Because I'm, I'm a big fan of hers too. I think it's called The Lying Lives of Adults or something like that. I got it recently, but I haven't started it yet. I'm looking forward to reading that too. Awesome. Sounds good. So in addition to reading and hearing about your writing, we love local bookstores here on the show. We're big supporters for local indie bookstores and we ask all our guests on the show. So of course, I'm going to ask you to share with our listeners some of your favorite bookstores. Okay, I'm going to recommend two in Albuquerque. One of them is called Bookworks. I love it because it's in the valley. It's a beautiful area right next to this very popular coffee shop restaurant and they always host events in there i mean we're talking pre-covid right <laughs> and so they host events and i saw carlos Ruizafon there in the early 2000 when he came out with the shadow of the wind mm-hmm. and it's this tiny bookstore but it's very popular and a lot of they have a lot of events so i really love that and just taking a walk in there because it has all these little shops around it it's really cute and then the other one that I'm going to recommend is one where I used to work when, when I first got married. It's called Page One. And Page One in Albuquerque is kind of like an institution. And at one point, it was the biggest store, even bigger than the Barnes & Noble and stuff, because it was, it was just huge and everybody knew it. And I used to work there. I was a graphic designer there full time. We had events all the time and a newsletter monthly. And it, it's just part of Albuquerque, you know, and right now it's gotten a little bit smaller, but it's still around and I'm happy about that because 
at, for a while, I feared that all the bookstores were going to come down <laughs> after borders and stuff. So I'm super glad that it's still around. Absolutely. We love our bookstores and we're definitely happy they're still with us because they're great anchors in our local communities. So thank you so much for sharing. Sure. Getting back now to the Spanish daughter and kind of just wrapping things together. I mean, I know you've done your job as the author. You've written the book. You know, you've given us a story. It's in the hands of readers. We've been reading about it, sharing about it, talking about it. But what are some of the reactions you're hoping for or just some thoughts you're hoping readers might have after they've turned that last page? Trying not to give away <laughs> the ending, but... You know, I think the theme behind the story is important. Here we have all these family members fighting over an inheritance. And unfortunately, I've seen that happen a lot in real life. And in the end, the friendships and the, the relationships end all because of they're fighting over something, you know. And so I kind of wanted to bring that into the story a lot too, like family versus things, family versus inheritance. And I don't know, just, I would love it if there, if there would be a conversation about that and, and people thinking about that, like, is it worth it for objects to lose relationships, you know? Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, listeners, I hope you will pick up a copy of The Spanish Daughter by Lorena Hughes. I've been telling my friends it gives you some great family drama. There's a mystery at hand. Plus, you also get to learn some real life history. Lorena, thank you so much for coming on the show and speaking with me. It was just an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Reader's Couch. You can find out more about the show and submit your questions for our guest by visiting our website, thereaderscouch.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Couch Is Booked. If you like the show, please subscribe, share and take a few seconds to leave a rating and review. Next week, I'll be back with new guests, more books, and some fun games we can play. But until then, stay lounging, stay reading, and whenever you're in doubt, go straight to your local bookstore or library. Thanks for listening, and happy reading. <laughs>